Good evening, everybody. We are here back for our Q&A. Session 112. We just want to thank everybody who has sent the questions from practically all around the globe, except Ukraine and Russia. <laughs> <laughs> they are too busy doing other things. <laughs> but we just thank God for the questions. One person asks a question, but a hundred others get the answers. So we just thank you. Questions to have its very important place in the Bible. So we just thank God and we pray for wisdom to answer. Today before we begin, shall we look to the Lord. Father, this evening we once again thank you for your providence, Lord. Mm. Your hand upon our lives for bringing us through everything, Lord. If only we were to really see what the enemy has been planning and plotting to do to your children. Mm. Truly, even our hearts would maybe fail, Lord. But you were there, stopping it all, preserving us, keeping us, and bringing us thus far. I just want to thank you, Lord. Come in all your children, wherever they are, Lord, whatever state they are in, into thy hands. You are the ever-present help. Reach out and touch them. Heal their bodies. Peace and rest for their souls. Strength in the hour of need. And Father, wisdom, understanding for everyone to discern the days, the times we are living in, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us now, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Last of all, we'll start with question number 13. 13. <clears throat> says, um, can someone in this world Practice love. Is that even possible? 13, 13. 13, 1, 3. You're one, showing three. 7. Okay. Pastor, can someone in this world practice love? Is that possible? Because I believe practicing and exercising love is false, as I was brought up from my childhood with physical and mental abuse by everyone. My question is, how can a person who has been brokenhearted for more than 25 years Believe when someone speaks about God's love just by words and not from heart. If a person truly loves God with, heart, with, with his heart, why do people get offended, especially believers? What does the Bible say about love? Okay, uh, the most famous verse, famous meaning well-known verse is John 3.16. There's no m- more appropriate verse For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, the devil knows love. If you go to and keep that over there, that he only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. Okay, verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. Okay. Now the, the the issue over here is we have an enemy of our soul, the one who was introduced to mankind in a movie kind of setting in Genesis chapter 3, the one who comes and lies and causes us to doubt God's love. And he's, that, that's basically what he does. You know, God doesn't really, really love you. That's why he's keeping this really good for you. And it's actually after eating from the tree of that, See, there were two trees over there, and they should have eaten from the tree of life, but they didn't eat from that. 
they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and that is what caused the fall and everything goes wrong with humanity. But the nature of love has never changed. Love still is the most powerful force on planet earth. It's more powerful than death itself. Okay, if you look, if you mean, if you're looking, we're not talking just in the terms of the biblical agape love. We are talking about just human love. If you look at the thousands of men who have gone back into Ukraine to fight, many of them know they will never see their families again. But why are they there? For the love of their family, the love of their country. That's why it is stronger than death. Mm. It is really people have given up everything for the sake of love. Like we have a queen is almost hundred years old. I don't know how old she is, but she's a queen because the king abdicated his throne for a woman he loved. The constitution of Britain says you cannot marry a divorcee and be queen. So he's a heck to the throne and he married her and moved to France and lived his life happily with her. So people have done unbelievable things for the sake of love. But here what you need to understand is that there is a perversion that comes in. So if you go there from verse 4 onwards, because you have to read from verse 4 of Corinthians 13, and to eight to understand this is what really love is. See, you you look at you have only experienced the fake one, and therefore you do not disregard the genuine. You need to realize that if there is not something that is genuine mm. and valuable, there will be no fake. Yes. Nobody makes fake notes of ten rupee notes because it's not worth it. But you will see fake notes of five hundred rupee notes and two thousand rupee notes, but you don't worry about people looking at. So whenever the devil duplicates something, you need to realize it is very valuable. And the most duplicated thing, fake thing he has brought out is love. And you have to look at what real love is. First thing it says about love here is love suffers long and it is kind. You need to realize, like in old days when we used to teach, we used to say, 1 Corinthians 12 is about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 is the working of the uh, working of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are like two slices of bread. But nobody likes plain bread. The filling inside is what makes it tasty. And the filling is Corinthians 13, love. A lot of people experience gifts and... Uh, manifest gifts and that's basically what you see in the world what is what is even if you look in the worldly term what is that qualifies you what are people looking for people are looking for talent people are looking for gifts so the entire world is full of talents and gifts and everything but what is missing is that ingredient in the middle mm. ingredient in the middle and like the person who wrote or 25 years maybe starting from your home and the abuse in the home begins because you want your children to be gifted Perform, 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 perform. It starts very early without realizing that that is not the way God's love is. God's love is unconditional. It's conditional. He never says perform so that I can love you. He says I just love you. When you were sinners, when you were enemies of the cross, when you were weak without any power, God loved us and his son came. He through his son died for us. This is where the world... So. See, that's why it is so strategically placed there by the Holy Spirit. He says you can have all these gifts and you can have all this working of the gifts, but as an individual, as a family or as a church, if you do not have genuine, real love, 
he says. And that's what he says in verse 2 of that same chapter. Verse 2, look at that. Whatever. Let's read from verse 1 to 2. How he begins, uh, begins. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. nothing. And verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you need to realize charity, the charity as we use in charity and agape as used in the Bible are not the same. Mm. Every religion has charitable works because it is part, like in Hinduism, it is part of your karma. The more you give and this thing, it is good for you. You are not doing it for the other person. Please understand, you are not doing it for the other person. In religion, when people practice feeding the poor and sacrifice, it is primarily for yourself. It is not for the other person. But when God gave his only son, he was doing it for us, not for himself. Because he doesn't need us. He's a self-existing, complete in himself. He doesn't need anybody. He's perfectly content in the relationship in the Trinity. But when God gave his only begotten son, he's not doing it for us, or for himself. He's doing it for That's what it says. My body to be burned, but have not. Like, you mean you got... You know what he's actually saying? You can be that where you can give all your wealth to the poor. And be really sacrifice, body to be burned, meaning give your entire life in sacrifice, in ministry, in taking care of the poor, the underprivileged, like communists are. Some of the communists have lived their lives like that for the sake of the underprivileged. They have lived such simple, basic, given their entire life. Then the question is, why do they kill their opponents? Because it is not done in that love which God talks about. Not love. It profits me nothing. This is, this is fundamentally true. These three verses, I mean, I have never seen any plaque on anybody's house of these three <laughs> verses. Okay, but these are the three verses which should be put in eye-opener, meaning the amount of effort and energy we put into the works, the works, and God says, you know what? If those works are not actually motivated by love, as a parent, as a husband, as a pastor, as an individual, as anything, whatever you do, he says, your salvation is not what is not at question, but your rewards are at question. So you have to look at it and say, what motivates me? Why am I doing what I do? And you will realize, is there love or not? And then from verse 4 onwards, it describes us. What is this nature of love that, how do I know that I, I, my love is what God is talking about? First, love suffers long and is kind. The minute you come that to suffers long, meaning the person you have, you love, does not reciprocate the way you think mm. or want. There's nothing coming back to you. There's nothing coming back to you. Not only that, that person actually hurts you. It hurts you. But God says the genuine nature of love is that it suffers long. It takes it upon yourself. But on the other hand, it what it gives back is kindness. And you see that continuously in Jesus' life. He's humiliated, he's mocked, he's scoffed, he's ostracized primarily by the religious class, and ultimately he's beaten and put on the cross. But what comes out of him is love. And his first statement, like I said in the morning, is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That is what you have to look. Because um, 
if you go to Matthew 6, Jesus mentions about it and he puts it right there in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the important parts of, over there, verse uh, 5, chapter 5, verse 43 to 47, or 48, Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sound sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, mm. what reward have you? But that is the primary human nature. We love those who love us. But God says, I love everybody. And I, if he says, he says oh, I'm not just feeding my children, I'm feeding everybody. And most of them hate me. And they will not come into heaven. But I still, my rain falls. When God's rain falls or the rain falls, it doesn't pick on only the righteous. It falls on everybody. He blesses everybody. And he gives, uh, Jesus, the Bible doesn't say for for God so loved the Christians. It says, or the Jews. It says, for God so loved the world. Okay. So if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Verse 47. But if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, God does not ask us to do be something if it is impossible. Let me tell you, in this life you cannot be perfect in works. You cannot be perfect in wisdom. You cannot be perfect in knowledge. You cannot be perfect in understanding. But it's one area you cannot, you can be perfect with the power of God's Holy Spirit in loving everybody. You can. And that's what God is saying. If, if it's not possible, he will not ask us to do it. And when Stephen dies, you know, this man may not have been perfect in many things, but he was perfect in love. He prayed for his enemies who were killing him and he died. And that's what God is to say. You have to look at the real thing. You have to look at the real thing. And uh, if you go back to that question, if you go back to the question, when people speak, when someone speaks about God's love, but uh, don't worry about the person. Okay, These are channels. Sometimes, you know what, you have to detach yourself from the person. Like if you're talking in terms of a church or talking in terms of anywhere, this thing you're talking about. Think about this. When you're in a classroom and... Uh, when a, when a teacher teaches math, you don't look at the person. You know math is true. You know 2 plus is true. I don't like him, so 2 plus 2 cannot be 4 because you know what? I don't trust him at all. No, you don't, you don't ask that question. So in the same way, when somebody is speaking to you about God's love, with the evidence of the Bible, and what God has done through his son, it is true. It is true. Because no one, the Bible says, Someone may scarcely die for the righteous, but who would die for the unrighteous? I want to read that portion about how God, how God loved us. No, because God doesn't love us in words. He loves us with action. And actions matter. Okay, this is in, uh, first is in Romans chapter 5. Okay. Romans chapter 5. Yeah, verse 6. To ten. Yeah, Sammy, you're blocking. Okay. For when we were still without strength, in due time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so if you look at there are two things over there. One, we were powerless. Powerless. Okay, powerless. We had no strength. And he died for us. And we were ungodly. He died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards uh, Asami, you are blocking the screen. Okay, you'll have to move it a little. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Either the screen or the light is the, yeah. <coughs> to the left. Yeah. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not die for us when we became righteous. He became, he died for us when we were sinners. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Look at verse 10. For if when we were not friends or neutral, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through what? Not through the council. <laughs> through the death of wow. his son. Mm. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. This is the truth about God's love. Okay, and that's where we have to look at it. Because this is where people go through. And ultimately, you know what? Uh, we have to first uh, go to... Luke chapter 418. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 418? Yes. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This is the Son of God who is coming with the love of the Father and his own love is coming and says, you know what he has sent me? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And if you look at his entire mission as recorded in the gospel, he was only mad with the Pharisees. He was never mad with the sinners. He dealt with their sin, but he was never mad with them. And he had so much compassion for them. That's what you're talking about. Love suffers long and is kind. Kindness, we always say that kindness or compassion is the oil in the wheel of love. It is the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. God is kind. And if God is kind, one of the first prayer of our life has to be, Lord, doesn't matter who we are, oh Lord, help me to be kind. And young man, if you haven't seen, I don't know whether there's a movie, maybe, but if you read, read The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens Dickens. and how that man Scrooge turns by the end of the story. He becomes a kind, compassionate man because he is the love of God, how God is. Okay, so you need to realize we have to ask because this is world is dog eat dog world. Everyone is looking out only for himself. Only one is looking what. Okay, you see what the devil has done is that he knows this is the most powerful emotion, force, reality, whatever you want to call it, called love. So he twists it and makes it into lust. And love, lust looks like the same outwardly, but inward core is rotten. In the lust, it is me, mine, myself. In love, it is you, yours, and not mine. It's not me first. It's you first. That's how you know the difference. But in its intensity, and in its intensity, love can pursue an object with that intensity of love. But once it gets it, it loses interest. And that's how what has happened to a lot of marriages. And you have, when you're talking about restoration, 
you're talking about restoration. In relationships, you need to realize is that, you know what, even parental relationships, what happens, it was the lust of wanting your child to excel. And when the child does not do well, you just turn off from that child because you were not really loving the child for yourself. For the child, you were loving the child for yourself. You wanted something in you to be fulfilled in that child. It not happened, and you turned that child off. You to go. You you just. But that is not how God loves. That's why you will see over there God's love on the just and the unjust. He will sit and talk in the night with Nicodemus, who's a just man, who's a righteous man, and then he will go all through the day walking to meet a Samaritan, a half-breed, as we call it, to okay, a mulatto or a half-breed who's a mixture of a Gentile and a Jew, and they wouldn't even talk to a Samaritan. Here is the prince of the world, the king of the universe, going, waiting in the hot day, sitting there to start a conversation to her, to show her how much God loves her. And she's a woman with no reputation, even among, even among the Samaritans. Forget. Even among the Samaritans, she has no reputation because she's married five times, divorced five times, and is now living with the sixth one. And here is the Son of Man sitting there and talking to her as if you matter to me. And she does matter to him. And that's what God is talking about. And the gospel is the gospel of love. It's the gospel of God's love for mankind. Okay, and that's where we have to look, and that's where we God talks about. You know, sometimes what happens is we read the Old Testament, and we don't understand the Old Testament is just a shadow. The substance is Christ. We look at the Old Testament and say, "Oh my God!" And people who read the Old Testament, and you know what happened, they become Old Testamental. And it looks like that God, a lot of people say Old Testament has to be taken away because the God of that Old Testament. But it is the same God. It is the same God. And even in the Old Testament, what you see is mercy triumphing over justice. If you look at God's cry over Israel through the books, okay? Now, he cannot compromise on his justice because then the whole universe will collapse. It will become the universe like the devil's kingdom. He cannot do that. He's holy. He's righteous. But how does he reconcile with his justice and his love? And the Bible is, it is a cross. It's at the cross. He pours out his wrath on his son. Pours out his wrath on his son. And turns to us and shows his compassion and mercy. That's why Romans 3 will say he's both the just and the justifier. That's where you have to look at. Honestly, we all fall short on this one area. But that's where we have to work on. We have to work on. Because let me ask you this one thing. How are we going to save the world otherwise? Why did the prodigal son come back? Because his father was rich? No. Because father was wise? No. Because he was, had great reputation? No. Because he knew his father was kind. Kind. He knew how kind he was to even the hired servants in the house. That's why he came back. That's why he came back. So you need to realize, Jesus had issues with the Pharisees because he said, you know what? You are not portraying who my father is. You are a religious class set apart for wrath. But that's not who my father is. And he started. Because sometimes that's what happens. Legalism creeps in. And when legalism creeps in, what goes out is the mercy, the kindness, the compassion of God goes out. But we have to learn how to. That's what we saw in the morning about about um, about uh, Noah, no, Noah's just, 
and he was blameless and he walked with God. And if you go to Micah 6, 8? Yes, Micah 6, yeah. 8. Walk Just look at the Lord, yes. Yeah, walk with um, Micah 6, 8. what the Lord requires. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, you have to be, I love mercy. We think it's a contradiction. It is not a contradiction. In God, it is not a contradiction. God loves justice. Justly, and yet, he loves mercy. And he says, that's what I want. And to walk humbly with your God. Why should I walk humbly with God? Because God is humble. God is humble. If you are not humble, you cannot walk with God. A proud man and a humble God cannot walk together. <laughs> okay, you have to walk with God. You have to be humble, not because he demands humility, because I am great, because he says, I myself I am humble. And that's what Jesus says, learn of me. Take my yoke. I am meek and lowly. Okay? People try to become humble. I'm trying telling you, you cannot. It will, it will, it will, it will wash away like makeup. <laughs> The only true way of humbling yourself other than the practical things of fasting and all that. Simple way to to become humble is just walk with God. Mm. It will rub off on you. It will rub off, rub off on you. Because mm. he is humble. Okay. The more you actually... How did Moses become the meekest man on planet Earth? Because, because he walked with God. Mm. And he wanted to walk with God. It's not just walking with God. You decide to walk with God and you realize, you know what... The only way I can walk with God is like become like Him. So that desire changed Him. Sure. That's how it works. So please don't ever think, don't look at man, don't look at man. That does, man does not define who God is. God loves. God loves. And the cross is the proof of how much God loves us. I mean, there's nothing more than that God can do. Who, are, who among us would offer our own child for the redemption of Somebody we don't even care for or do not even know. Who would do that? Nobody would do that. Only God did it. God did it. So when the Bible talks about the cross and looks at that's why we, the Bible says we preach Christ crucified. Okay, this is God's final attempt. If you don't look at the cross and believe, nothing can move you. Nothing can move you. There's nothing that can move you. Because that's the power. And that's where it comes. If you go back to Corinthians 13 and verse 4, Right? It says, love suffers long. It suffers long. And it is kind. And love does not envy. And that's one thing you need to look at it. The minute jealousy comes into a relationship, love goes out. Love goes out. That's what happened. I'm sure Abel and Cain grew up loving each other as the first set of brothers. They had a, I mean, they had the next two perfect Environment. Okay, they're out of the garden, but the parents are still, still almost innocent. Not innocent, almost innocent. Okay, and the world hasn't really, the curse hasn't really taken effect or anything. Okay, so they're outside. The presence of God is there. The covering of God is there. Everything is there. I'm sure they grew up nicely, loving one another. But then, at one instant, envy came in. Jealousy came in. And it destroys. And I have seen jealousy destroying marriages. Jealousy destroying siblings. Jealousy destroying a church. church envy. Jealous. Paul talks about those who preach out of envy. Jealousy, 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 jealousy. Especially in the most most um, important place where you have to guard in the church setting is one the pulpit, the second is the worship team. This is where talents are displayed. Gifts are displayed. That's why he's writing to the Corinthian church because they have all the gifts and he says, you know what? 
that is not how God's people behave. If somebody sings better, somebody plays the guitar better, somebody talks better, somebody, he says, you know what, you should learn to rejoice in the success success of somebody else. Yes. Success of somebody. Because envy can kill. Envy can kill. Okay. And envy propels a lot of fathers and mothers. Because they hear the neighbor's children's reports and how this thing, and they come and pummel upon their children. Why can't you look at them? Why can't you look at them? Why can't you look at them? No, and it's because they are jealous. Because they just, um, it is not for their own kids' sake. It is just you want to boast how great my kid has done. And these things spoil relationships. Okay, it does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Things no evil. I mean, it's a whole. It gives you, if you look at it, I mean, we had a priest, an entire series on this one, long back, you can check it on the net. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. First, it gives you a list of what love is not. not. Okay, we need to know what love is not. Then it gives you a list of what love is. It bears all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. Bears all things. Believes all things. When it says believes all things, it's not talking about believing gossip. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't misunderstand. It means you always believe the best about the other person, irrespective of what people and come and say. Mm-hmm. You always believe the best. Now you will say, okay, all this I heard, but when you meet that person one on one, you will always say, you know what? I still don't. I don't. I want to hear from you. That's one thing which I do when I do one on counseling. I said, I've heard stuff. I want to hear from you, and I will believe you. You tell me the truth, I'll believe you. If you tell me that is not true, I'll go with what you say, because it's about you. Until you have two or three actual witnesses, I will go with you, I will trust you. Because somebody has to believe in a person. Okay, Jesus believed in this Samaritan woman, and she becomes the first evangelist recorded in history. He believed her. I'm not writing you off. You still can. Even the woman caught in adultery, he sings, I believe in you. Go. Don't sin again. Okay. He believed a man who's been useless for 38 years okay. sitting over there. Pick up a mat and walk. Go. I believe in you. I don't, I don't give up on anybody. You give up on yourself, but I refuse to give up on you. And that's what love does. It bears all, believes all things. And oh, hopes all things. It hopes for the best for the other person. That's why the Bible says the entire law and the prophets hangs on two hinges. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. And the second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. See, also one of the things that has happened is a lot of people need healing. They are broken like this, who are wrote, and I'm mentioning, I know who wrote uh, from another country. But what I'm saying is when people, when they, let's let's say this, brother, sister, has gone through 25 years of abuse, physical trauma. So you know what? After some time, they start hating themselves. Hating themselves. Which is true. A lot of people walk in life hating that they don't like the way they are. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they work. They don't like anything about them. So the question is, the second and the greatest of, of the two, it's the second close. The first one is love your neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. The problem is if you do not love yourself as God, that's why the psalmist says, David does not look at all the things he has done. He says, you know what, I'm looking at who God made me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Okay, so he has a very, this is not self-love, it's a healthy love for yourself. This is what I am in God's sight, this is what I want to become, and therefore now you are able to love your neighbor in the same way. Says, you know what, there is no competition in heaven. We are not competing with each other. We are all running our own race with God. God is not a respecter person. This is what I want to become. You know what, buddy, I want you to become that too. And if you become better than me, that is justice. That only means I did not slacken. I slackened. It's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> if you run faster than me, that just, just means that I did not run fast enough. Because God is not a rest. That's exactly what God tells Kate. Don't look at Abel. If you do what is right, you also will be acceptable. Mm-hmm. So people have to learn to learn to love themselves. A lot of people today, the entire world through the media and the society is all outward. Everything is outward. And when you are focusing on, you see, the upkeep of the outward is a multi, not billion, trillion industry. A body. That's why God says food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Both will be destroyed. But this focus on the outward, what happens is, and the enemy has created Babylon in such a way that we are not able to truly, truly love those who don't look good, those who don't have money, those who don't have education, those who do not have power, those who don't have reputation. If a, if a beggar has, a, let us say, a, a beggar has a phone and has a WhatsApp or a Twitter account, how many will follow him? We don't follow people. Now go to Corinthians and look at how God turns the tables in the kingdom. And it is an act of love, First Corinthians chapter 1. Yes. Yeah, it's an act of love. He's talking about his heart. Okay? You see your calling, brother. Okay, 26 onwards. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He says, why should I call them? Everybody is calling them. Their phone is forever busy. They have 20 million followers. Okay, He said, I don't have to call them. They have already got their reward on earth. And words for 28. (laughs) Yeah. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. Now look at that. Who has chosen? God. Not the Prime Minister. God has chosen. And the things which are not, you know, which are not, that's how we, we actually say, nothing. Nothing. You are nothing. But world calls nothing. God says, these are the ones I have chosen. To bring to nothing, nothing. the things <laughs> that are. That's how God, that's God. It's not that God is despising. He does not despise the rich, the noble, and anybody also. The rich also. He says the problem is it's very difficult for the rich to enter into the way. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about those who are rich in themselves. Because they won't come to the cross. They will still try to work out their own salvation. Because it takes an humbling to come to the cross. So you look at all these pictures and you have to, that's where the, the gospel sets you free. He has come to preach the good tidings. He has come to heal the broken heart. And a lot of people need healing. A lot of people need healing. And you have to ask God, Lord, would you heal me? Make me whole? Make me whole. You see that uh, ten uh, lepers, remember the ten lepers? They were standing there and crying. Outwardly they were all the same. Inwardly they were not the same. They cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus said, what do you want? You want to be clean? He said, go, show yourself to the priest. The Bible says while they were going, they were healed. One stopped. One stopped. And he came back. Came back. 
one, he came back. Why did he come back? Why were nine Jewish lepers walking with a Samaritan? Because leprosy made them one. But inside, they were not the same. Because of rejection by the Jewish community, this man was broken inside. And he realized, somebody, for the first time, a Jewish rabbi, cared for me. So he came back with a loud voice, cried and gave thanks. And Jesus said, there were ten of you. What happened to the other nine? He said, they went. He said, rise up. Be made whole. You see, because some of our diseases are not just outside. Some of our problems are not outside. Inside you are broken. And here is a God who has come to make us whole. Okay, and everybody needs that. Because what happens is, if you are hurt inside, you will only go on hurting others. And people do not realize that you are reacting from your wounds. Like if Pastor Vijay has a cut over here and here, and I don't see it, and I press it, his immediate reaction is, oh, why did you touch me there? But I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Okay, I didn't see it. But because I don't see it, that doesn't mean the wound is in there. So a lot of people are reacting from their wounds. And in the kingdom of God, we don't react. We act. Jesus did not react. He acts. From below the cross, they are mocking him, scoffing him, abusing him, insulting him. And even the Pharisees, the leaders, if you are the son of God, come down. Prove yourself. Even the leave, the thieves on both sides, in their pain, are insulting him until one changes. But he's not reacting to anything they are saying. He's acting. Love acts. Hurt reacts. So God has to make us, has come to make us whole. And wholeness is important. And we need to ask God, Lord, every day, Lord, heal me. Heal me, Lord, heal me. Because marriages, homes are all in a mess in these last days. It's because people are not whole. And people are, are reacting from their insecurities and in their hurts. Jesus was, that's why we said about last Sunday, the first thing the Father brings is security. The first thing a father has to bring is security. I love you unconditionally. You don't have to perform for me. But don't try to push against God's justice. Mm. The father always loved the prodigal son. It's one thing the prodigal son was shocked when he came back is that his father's love had never changed, nor had his sense of justice. Justice also did not change. You chose to walk away. Okay? It's like the, the husband and the wife who were driving down. They are like a middle-aged or a 40s couple and they are driving and the wife is telling the husband, do you remember the old days when we were courting and we got married? How I, my head used to be on the shoulder and you used to put your arm around me? And he said, yes, honey. But it's not that way. He said, he says, honey, who moved? Who moved? I'm still sitting where I am, but your shoulder is on the other side. I didn't move. I'm still driving. So the question is, who moved? Man moved away from God. When a man and Adam and Eve fell, you don't see Adam and Eve searching for God. You see God searching for man. Until today, it is still the same. It is God who searches and seeks the lost. And he says, in Adam is all of you. And he asks the question, where are you? Where are you? And that's where you have, you have to go back to God. You have to go back to Christ. You have to go back to God and get healed constantly and be made whole. And suddenly you look at life and you will be able to, able to, I will tell you some things that happened 
personal. I don't want to mention names. They are dead and gone. There was one person in my life, a family member, an older person, uh, connected to my grandparents. In so many ways, if somebody could have destroyed my life, it was that person that destroyed my life, my thinking, my everything. Because that person was in control of my grandfather's life, uh, of my grandfather's home, not my grandmother. Somebody else was in control. Let us say as chief steward like Eliezer. Let's say this question. What if the Holy Spirit is nasty to us? Mm. Okay, so there is this person. And I'm just a 12-year-old child. And 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 7 years of my life, I was in control of this person. And I couldn't tell this to anybody because your parents are no longer there. I'm just given enough to eat and never allowed to play one single day of my life all those years. If you look at my brothers, you will see they are strong, they are well built. You look at me, why am I like this? Because one person controlled my life. And I couldn't say that to anybody. But when I got saved and when I went back, one of the first things God told me is that every time you go back, meet that person. Hug the person, tell that person you love her, and give that person money. And every time I did it, you know what happened? I don't know how she died, but I lived free. I loved free. I loved free. Because these are things which you have to do, which you have to do. Okay? Because you do not let other people's action to frame your life. Jesus did not allow the wounds of his family or the religious class who should have accepted him first because they were the supposedly waiting for him with all of the scripture, or the betrayal of his disciples all left him, caused him to react. He refused to react that way. And you will realize all through life, there will be people. We, will, we all have faced rejection. Mm. All face rejection. And see, the people who love you when you go through that. But the question is not. The question is, when you encounter those people, now you are in a position of power. You don't need them. You don't need them anymore. But you are in a position where you don't need them. And when you meet them, the question is, how will you act? Will you react? Or will you act? That's the thing. If you are free, you will act the way Christ acted on the cross. If you are not free, you will react. You will either avoid them, you will not talk to them. If they talk to them, you will be nasty to them. No. You don't have to go looking for them. What I'm saying, if you meet them, how will you act? That is freedom. Mm. That is liberty. That is how you have to do it. There is there is only one way. Love suffers long. Mm. That does not make you free. That's only half the equation. Love suffers long and is kind then you are free. There are a lot of people sitting and in prisons, mental asylums, because they suffered for the sake of love. They loved somebody, somebody slapped them, and they are suffering, they went mad. But they would have been free if they had been kind. Well, it's the second part of it that liberates you, sets you free. And I'm talking to everybody. A lot of people who are listening all around the world have gone through such horrible experiences. But this is the key. This is the key. If you want to be free, not only suffers, it's also kind. You don't have to look, go around for them because abusers are abusers. But I am talking, one of the most powerful incidents I read in my life was from Cory Tenbo. 
She lost her family to the Nazis. Two of her sisters were starved to death literally in the Nazi camp. She was the only one who came out of it alive. And God used her mightily till the day she died. And she went around preaching the gospel of God's love, grace, guys. And she said in one of the meetings in Germany when she was preaching and after that meeting, one of the men came to shake hands and fraw. That's something that what they call in in Froline or whatever. Sister Cory, I want to thank you for your message. And she looked into his eyes and she recognized him. She realized he was one of the guards of that prison where her sisters had died. And she was frozen. Shake hands with this fellow. The number of people who have, who have died under his watch and the torture, the torment. And then she felt the Spirit of God says, reach out and shake his hands. And she said, when she reached her and shook his hand, she literally felt the power of God flow through her and she was set free. Sometimes we need to be kind to our oppressors, not for their sake, for our own sake. They may not even know it, but you are set free. You are set free, not for their sake. When God says, love your enemies, it's not for their sake. It's for our sake. Because you are the sons of God. What does it mean? You are absolutely secure in God's love. You will never, ever be rejected. You will never be rejected by God. Nobody can pluck you from the Father's hands. That security should cause you to forgive and walk in kindness. Because you know what? I can be free because I am free. I am free. My liberty comes from God. My liberty is Purchased by the blood of God. You do it. I'm not saying that you people make stupid emotional mistake hearing this and go, this one abused me, that one abused me, I need to go and show kindness. No, I'm not talking about that. It's stupidity. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go around looking for that. I'm talking that if you encounter and you really have an encounter face to face and if they come and say something, act kind. Don't act nasty. Act kind. God will give you the grace and you will suddenly realize, you know what, you are free inside. Because if you want to be a true servant of God, a child of God, I'm not using the term servant because we are all sons, we are all servants, we are both. You have to be free inside. Otherwise God will not be able to really reach out through you and heal others. Will not be. And the prime example in the old covenant is Joseph. And if you look at him, not uh, iota or unkindness from him for his brothers, Mr. Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, or even the cupbearer, how come you forgot me for nobody? Absolutely nobody. What he does is take care of everybody. That's the principle. If we, see, this is why God says, you are nothing. You have all these things, but because if you do not have love, he says, in the coming kingdom, I cannot entrust souls into your hands. You will not reign. You will be my son. You will eat freely, but you cannot have power because you will abuse your power. Joseph is able to give power. That's why he put him through that 13 years of brokenness to see how he would react. And he reacted right. So God says, now we can take the throne. Famine can happen in the whole world. I can send everybody to you and I know you will feed them. You will take care of them. You know why? Because your heart is full of love. So if you really, honestly, don't don't ever get this misunderstanding that all the people who 
will reign with Christ in eternity, will have PhDs in theology and DDs and some of them will have nothing. They will be practically illiterate but their hearts were so full of love and the knowledge of God and God will say I can handle. That's what Peter and John are. Unlearned men. But God is committing the kingdom into your hands because now their hearts are framed by love. Love. And that's the real knowledge of God. Your real knowledge of God in this life. Don't run after justice, because the whole world is running. Putin is fighting for justice in his version. Zelensky is fighting for justice in his own one. Biden is fighting for justice. Modi is fighting for justice. They all have their versions of justice. Nobody is fighting for love. Nobody is fighting for love. Okay, It's love that heals. Justice has no eyes. Remember the lady with the scales and eyes? Okay. That is justice. That is justice. Okay, that is, that, it's for another day. I'm not saying that you should not make righteous decisions and all, but never forget, he who deals without mercy will be dealt without mercy. For mercy triumphs over, over judgment. And at a personal level, every one of us has to Always show mercy. Give them what we say is like the cricket umpiring term, benefit of doubt. Everybody benefit of doubt. I believe you. I believe you. Yes, Pastor Vijay will go to question. I hope, young man, I answered your question. Okay, God heals. Comprehensive. Another, I think, uh, another question the same person has sent, Pastor. It's question number 18. <clears throat> it's there. It's in 18. the updated, updated version, if you don't mind. 18. As a Christian, I always used to believe that Jesus is God for my childhood, but I have ignored him in uh, my life a lot. I repent for my sins and I want to be baptized, Pastor, as a believing Christian. My question is, after I've heard your message about the truth about East, Easter, I was a bit worried with my baptism because I have a fear about doing any mistake against God, as I now know the truth about Easter. But I also have to get baptized on the same day. Can you please help me? (laughs) First thing, let me tell you. (laughs) When I read your questions and when I get mails also from you, you are very fearful for the wrong reasons. Okay, There's a reverential fear for God, but your fear is not that. You're more fear, afraid of God punishing you. Okay, Children don't have to fear their father that way. If you are a child of God, let me tell you in heaven, there is no punishment. You may lose your rewards. There is no punishment. He may discipline you here. But don't say discipline has punishment. Okay? Don't say discipline has punishment. Discipline is for correction. It is not punishment. Punishment is for a crime. God does not see his children as criminals. If you commit a crime, he may allow the law to put you in jail. But in the jail, the system is punishing you. God is disciplining you. Yeah, man. God is there are two different ways to so this fear of God. It's an irrational fear of God. God does not accept. God does not accept. It's a reverential fear of God because of who He is, mm. not because of what He can do. The child is scared of the father, basically about the about the stick. The skit is a stick is away. He's not afraid because he sees the stick and the father has one. Okay, but that's not what God is talking about. It's not what God is. You should not be afraid of God or that fear of God because of what He can do to you. You should fear God 
in terms of sinning because of who he is. Mm. Who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. So sometimes when I read, I feel you are very afraid. And don't be afraid about it. We are not going to be sinless till he comes and gets out of this body. Yet we should try to be sinless. Okay, these are two different of this thing. Otherwise, you will be always be afraid, afraid if I say that's that's kind of a slavish kind of fear, and you will never be able to abide in the house. A slave does not abide with the in the house. A son abides forever. Okay, so the first thing. Second, we don't call it Easter; we call it Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose on Resurrection Sunday morning. Okay, we have lots of doubts about the day he died. But nobody has any doubts about the day he rose mm-hmm. because it's the first day of the week, the Bible says. And we know Sunday is the first day of the week. So, okay. So it does not matter. It does not matter whether you get baptized on Resurrection Sunday or Christmas Day. It does not matter which day you may. The only thing is that get baptized. A believer's baptized. Don't, don't get, you know, um, this is more like the, the, becomes pharisaical, okay, who is dividing the tithes, okay, brought Danya, you know, and he's looking at weighing, okay, it's 100 grams, and he then t- cuts it, okay, only 9 grams, a little more, 2 more leaves, okay, 10 grams, because, you know, that's what Jesus said, that's how he dies. There's no joy, no love in his giving. He says, don't be like that with God, don't, I mean, you cannot have a relationship with anybody like that. Okay. Okay. Mm. Anybody <laughs> like that? Okay. I was okay. Alexa. <laughs> Alexa. Okay, Alexa. Keep quiet, Alexa. Okay. <laughs> okay, so do not be. Just go get baptized. Have the freedom. Have the freedom to get baptized. Okay? Don't look, don't knit and pick on the, the, the law. Okay, the problem is if you're going to read the Bible with the framework of the law, you will always have a veil over your face. You will really never be able to see. If you go to that portion, mm. that is uh, Corinthians 13, 3, 7, uh, 3, 16, 17. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians? Okay. Liberty, where the Spirit is for. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 3. I want you to look at that words, okay? Uh, words uh, 14 onwards. 14 onwards. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Mm. Verse 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. What does it mean, Moses is read? He says, if you, if your mindset is the mindset of the law, mm. you will never ever be able to see God as your loving, unbelievably loving, kind, compassionate father because the law sees him like when I looked at my father, I was wondering now who is talking to me? Is the principal or the father? Always we will look at him. Today he's come back home. Is it the father who is speaking or is the principal? If the principal is talking, I'm in trouble. If the father is talking, it's a good day. Okay. And that's what the Bible is talking about. If you are looking at God through the framework of the law, you will never experience the love of God. Though God is loving, the most loving, kind person you'll ever meet in life, you will never experience the love of God because you're seeing it through the framework of the law. But in Christ, it is taken away. The Christ sets you free. Because when you come to Christ, you're not a slave, you're a son. You're not a son. And nevertheless, one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's taken away. And where the Spirit is Lord, verse 17 will say, there is, the Lord is a Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
You know what it's basically talking about? It's talking about the liberty. If if you have sinned against God, the Spirit of Lord convicts you and shows you the righteousness which is available by faith. And he says, all you have to do, all you have to do, okay? I will tell you, I've told this many times long, long ago. I was extremely, I mean, I don't know what I was when I was a young boy, but I used to get smacked every day. But one day, a child went and complained, and I had done nothing wrong. And my father whooped me. For once, the righteousness in me came out, mm. because I was right and he was wrong. But he always went with the, because being a principal, he always had to be just. So whenever there was a complaint about his son, he always didn't try to defend his child, because he said then they would say you're being partial. So that day when he came to me, I ran away from my house. I ran away in the morning. I found a small little cave in the mountains. I got into it and I slept nicely. I came back only in the evening. My mother was going around crazy looking for me. My father was cool. Men, emotion and reason, I've told you. Emotion. We need that emotion because she went to every nook and corner of that little town looking for me, calling out my name. Father didn't move because there's only one way you can get out of the town. There's a huge river. There's a bridge. He called the cop at the bridge and said, if you see an Indian boy, just stop him and send him back. Mm. That's the reason. The other side is going all around emotionally. We need both. Okay? By evening, I woke up. I saw my mother still screaming. I put my head out of the cave. and She was so relieved. She took me home. She locked me in a neighbor's bathroom. And she told, I will let you out when your father is calm. And I will tell you what to do. You just go, fall at his feet and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Okay? Now, the interesting part is that I was sitting there. I stood there in the bathroom for a couple of hours. And she came, opened him and says, your father is now calm down. I told him, he has been found and I waited till he's come. Okay? He says, I went and I fell at his feet. And I said, I'm so sorry, forgive me. He just lifted me, hugged me and said, never do this thing to me again. Okay? That's what God is talking about. Okay. He didn't, for the first time, I did the most terrible crime still that day in my life. And he didn't do anything. He just hugged me and said, don't ever run away from your home. Never run away from your home. Okay. Now what God is saying is that you, you go to 1 John and chapter 2 and verse 1. After writing all that, or no walk in the light, and you have, if any man says he's without sin, and all that, you know what he's saying, my little children, these things I write to you. Look at the tone. Because John, the son of thunder, who wanted to call down fire upon Samaria, has become a father. He's become a spiritual father. He's grown in maturity. First he was a young child, then he became a young man, now he's a father. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, Please remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Go to him. Repent. Okay? Because if you repent, the system may punish you. The Father may or may not discipline you. Because if you realize you don't need discipline, he won't discipline you. You have changed. There's no need of discipline. If it's, if you're, you broke the law with the system, the system does not have eyes, so they have to go by the law. But the Father may not. Father may not. May discipline you, may not discipline you. He may discipline you only if you need discipline. Unlike our earthly fathers, the Bible talks about, okay, our heavenly father will discipline us only if we require discipline. If you don't re- require discipline, he won't discipline you. 
There's no need. Because he's, he's not getting any perverse pleasure from beating us up. He's a father. This is what we need to understand. That is why the Bible says, if a man, we saw that in the morning, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 31. Corinthians 11.31. 1 Corinthians 11.31. If we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We judge ourselves and keep on changing. God says, you know what? I don't even have to give you a knock on your head. I don't have to discipline you at all. Self-discipline, understanding the word of God, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and changing accordingly is the best thing. God says, you know what? I don't have to discipline you at all. I don't have to discipline you at all. Because you are listening to my instruction. Because that is how you have to look at life. And don't be afraid. That fearful, this thing will not take you anywhere. There is fear of man. There is fear of demons. And then there is irrational fear of God. And that fear should not be there. There should be a reverential fear for God. But the irrational fear of God, no. no. Then you will never go back to God when you fall. Never go back to God. You know what? But you, God says, get up and come back to me. Come back to me. You have nowhere else to go, he says. Come back to me. There's only one place you can go back. Come back to me. Yes, Pastor Bishop. So get baptized, young man. Amen. This Resurrection Amen. Sunday, that is 17th. Get baptized. 17th, right? Yeah. Yes. yes, sir. Pastor, so we'll go to question number 15. Again, a lot of practical okay. questions. From the time I got to... Sammy, I still cannot see. You just have to move it one inch. Fifteen... This that book, rod, yeah. one inch. Yeah. He knows yeah. its balance and all that. Sammy, do it. Mm-hmm. It may fall on our head. Otherwise. No, 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 no. This one. This Just move it. Oh, this yeah. one. One. Yeah. Two to the right. To the right. Yeah, that's enough. That's good. That was blo- blocking the script. Yeah, that's fine. Yes, go ahead. From the time I got? Yeah, from the time I got saved, I realized that I tried to solve lifelong communication problems with human insights and snazzy techniques. Why do we forget that communication problems reveal problems at a much deeper and more fundamental level? Don't you think that we need to tackle these deeper issues first? Otherwise, we will never solve the problems of our daily communication. Second part says, no matter how much you love your wife, how great a wife or husband either one of us is, are there deeper issues? There are deeper issues. Would you agree? Of course. See, in the, in the, if you go to, if you go to Genesis, you will see the Bible says at the end, they both were naked and they were not ashamed. It's not talking about just physical nakedness. It is talking about the transparency of relationships. Transparency of relationships. After that, let's leave a, Let's leave God aside in the picture. Let's leave God aside in the picture. Let's just look at man. Okay, verse 25, Genesis 2, 25. Okay. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. But if you come to chapter 3 and verse 7, as soon as they have eaten the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And why were they, why were they covering themselves? What happened? What happened? That's the question. Why were they ashamed? Why were they covering themselves? There's no, no other human being anywhere there. It's just two of you. Why are they, why are they covering themselves? Because this is what the sin does. This is what the fall comes. Okay. The thing is that, let me tell you, it's almost continuous with 
the previous questions. If you do not choose to unconditionally love a person, when you look at that person and you get closer to that person, whether it's a husband and a wife or a parent or a child or a church setting, any settings, when you get close to a person, you see the ugliness. You see the ugliness. And that causes you to dislike that person. You cannot hide it anymore. That's why people live in little bubbles. They never show their real. Everybody is trying to pretending to be somebody else. But with God, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. That's why God loved David. He never pretended before God. He said, this is who I am. You say I am adulterer? I am that. You say I am a murderer? I am. You say I am a liar? I am. I am all that, Lord. Everything you say is absolute. No defense. He never tried to pretend before God. This is who I am. I know who I am. I am exactly what you say I am. So that is basically what breaks down in relationships. Okay? And people have to distinguish between loving and like. Sometimes it is become merged and become one. Okay? Become one. Let us say we have Mahendra sitting over here. Okay? Mahendra sitting over here. And I look at Mahendra and says, Mahendra, okay? I saw your marks. They are terrible. You are absolutely lazy. You are not really studying. Okay? And what did I tell him? I told him basically about his marks and that he's not working. When it comes to studies, he's lazy. But he goes around and starts saying, you know what? Pastor James hates me. He doesn't love me. It is very partial. He loves that when he doesn't love me. It's because he connected love and like when I was talking, I was only talking about one particular facet of his behavior and which he also should dislike. He looks at his mark and he says, what? Nonsense. I can do better than this. See, if we were to objectively see our lives and dislike and like, then when somebody says, I dislike that about you, you will say, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree. You know what? That area, I also don't like myself. I'm trying to change. I know I need to work hard. But the problem is that it's such a mess. Now we are coming to the end of the age. The tape, no, old tapes, no. When it began playing, it played very well, very well. Then it started cracking, cracking, <laughs> cracking. So when it playing began, well, they lived 800 years, 900 years. They lived. It's cracking, cracking, cracking. We have come to the age. It's a total breakdown breakdown. And therefore, people do not know this. They do not even know what love is. They do not even know what love is. They do not even know what communicate. You cannot communicate because everybody is walking on feelings. You cannot really, really have a genuine communication with people because you do not know with what mind they are thinking. Okay? Mind you are thinking. Unless you are willing to go by saying that, you know what? You, I want an honest opinion. And even if it's going to hurt me, if you're going to kill me, I want to hear it from you. Then you can have a real communication. Most communications with people you have in a, in a, on a day-to-day basis is very superficial. superficial yes. Let me ask you. I'm not even talking about, you know, I'm not even talking about theology. You can talk, sit theology with people who are interested in theology. You can sit, talk movies with people who are interested in movies. You can sit, talk with people with this thing. But how can you really talk issues with people? 
And I look around and I listen very carefully and I realize, you know what? You cannot talk issues with people at all. They don't want to talk about issues. So the only thing a relationship you have is a very, very shallow relationship. Whether it is in a marriage or in a family or in a church or very shallow. Touch me not kind of relationship. Don't touch me there. So you know, these are boundaries people have made around themselves. Don't touch this area. Don't touch. After you have communicated with a person, if supposing you are working with that person or living with that person or, or whatever it is, after you, if it's maybe in your own team, after you have been with him for a couple of weeks and you have to interact him or her interact, you already knows how to do. If I press this button, I will get this reaction. If I press this button, I will get more work. Just flatter them. So it's such a, such a terrible, shallow world we are living in. This, this, very rarely you will find true relationships. Very, very true relationships. Because you cannot talk to them. I'm talking to you honestly as a pastor. Even to the church. Very difficult. Very, very difficult. Very, very difficult to deal with people because you know what? They're all floating on feelings. So if you want to get something done, you will realize, okay, there are three or four people. You can tell them whatever to do. And even if they are hurt, they will come back and tell you, you hurt me and now I am okay. We cannot tell most of the people because you do not know in the long run how things will be. <laughs> the best this is the truth about every church or every family. If Jacob has to depend upon somebody, it is Joseph. He cannot depend upon the other ten. You will never know which way they will put one face before you and do something else behind you. So he knows this is the only boy. Potiphar also after some time realized, you know what, I got a young Hebrew slave. He is dependable. We don't have to worry about him. Prison warden after some time realized, you know what, this guy is dependable. And finally the Pharaoh realizes this guy is dependable. Because he is not. And wherever he goes, one thing about that you need to realize about Joseph, as we are talking about relationships, Joseph as a person is this. In his father's house, in Potiphar's house, in the prison warden's, place and in with Pharaoh. He's, whoever his boss is, is absolutely loyal. loyal. You cannot question his loyalty. That's it. That's true. And you need to realize this is the core factor. That's why you know what? I, I think in one of the messages I mentioned about yeah. uh, when uh, he was uh, he, wa- he was asking his people to get placed in sort of a place called Goshen. Mm. He said, let me check with Pharaoh before I even place yeah, him. Place, he, yeah. he, he, he could have, yeah, in Nepal, Nepal, yeah. He could have made his own decision. But he didn't do that. Yes, yes. So let it come from Pharaoh. But I wanted to turn to mm. Genesis chapter 6. Today we looked, we didn't look at that. If I write words, 18. 618. Genesis 618. Look yes. at Genesis 618. Yes, we got it right. I'm getting pretty good with uh, remembering my verses now. You see, after he talked all that, Moses, see, what, um, you know, um, Noah has walked with God, let us say, he's 500 years old. God says he's just, blameless, he walks with God. And now God is asking him to do something. And then God comes and says, you know what, I will establish my covenant with you. Covenant is the basis of relationships. When two people make covenants, basically the fundamental part of covenant is that I will be loyal to you. So God makes covenant. 
So covenants have to be established. People do not realize in the church that when you come and become part of a church, it's a covenantal relationship. In a marriage, it's a covenantal relationship. Family is a covenantal relationship. Covenantal relationship. And sometimes communication breaks down because they forget there is a covenant. There is a covenant. And covenant is important. Very, very important. It's not a contract. Because most relationships are like uh, companies. It's just a contract. You don't need us, you give notice and do. They don't need you, they give you notice. But God doesn't enter into contracts. But this thing has got into our head that we do not have genuine relationship. It's like the prodigal son. He did not realize he had a covenantal relationship with his father. For him it was a contract. My contract with you is over. Give me my money and let me le- let me release me. Father said, did you see my relationship with you as that way? That is the way you thought. I have a covenantal relationship with you. You have a contractual relationship with you. Take it and you go. But when he came back, the father said, you know what? I am still standing on the covenant. He's coming back in terms of the contract. Oh, I have already breached my contract. Now I can go back on only having fresh contract. In the fresh contract, I cannot be a son. I can at least be a servant. Listen. We never understood. It was never a contract. It was a covenant. So if you're coming back, you're coming back on the same covenant. You're coming back as a son. And this is fundamentally the issue with relationships. You need to realize. And going back to that question, we are all, you know, you cannot, you have to see, I I like, I like this man over whom David wept and cried. If you go to First Samuel chapter 19. Yeah, First Samuel chapter 19. Yeah, um, yeah, First Samuel chapter 19. 18, 18, 18. 18. And verses 1 to 3. Second Samuel 18. First Samuel 18, 1 to 3. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's the key. And Saul took him that day, would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Look at verse 3. Jonathan and David made a covenant because they loved him as his own soul. They made a covenant. And that's what God did. God says, you know what? God so loved us, he gave his only son. And he says, when you come through me, come through him, you are cleansed, sanctified, and I love you as my own son. He enters into a covenantal relationship. People don't understand covenant. That's why marriages don't function. Because they don't realize it's a, it's a covenant. And in that covenant, you love. You look at what Bible talks, because this was connected with a marriage or any relationship. You can enter into covenantal relationship even in a case with a marriage like this, okay? Verse 28 of, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5.28. What does the Bible say? So, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay. Now, Jonathan loves David like he loves himself. Now, what does he love himself? How does he see himself as? I'm the king's eldest son. I'm the next heir to the throne. But the throne of Israel is different from the throne of other nations. Yes. This is God's kingdom. And I understand. 
after what has happened with Saul have heard what Samuel told my father. This is the next king. This is not me. And because it is that I love God, love my father, and love this man, I am making a covenant with him. You know what? I will do everything possible to see that you become the next king. I love you. What is that I want to be? I want to be king. But you know what God wants? Wants you to be king. And because I love you as myself, I will see to that you become the king. He loves him as he loves himself. He says, then you're the king, I'll be yeah. second in your family. I will be second, he yeah. says that. Okay. That's a superb question. That is what we are talking about. No? And we have to see that. We have to see that. Unless you see a covenant, and in a covenant there are two parties. There are two parties. And the two parties are not always equal. Yeah. <laughs> we are not equal. <laughs> These two parties are not equal. Like you have God and man. They are not equal. We are not equal with God. So husband and wife, they are not equal. We try for equality, but we should try for equity. Man and woman, how can you put two dissimilar objects and they say they are equal? Man is completely different. Woman is completely dissimilar. Try to put two women and say you can be equal. Can put two men and say you can be equal. But you should have equity, not equality. Equality would be with only similar roles, similar objects. Okay. So here, man and woman is not equal. But they are both in a covenant and they know their roles. The man in the covenant says, you know what, I love you as myself. I will do everything to see that you fulfill your role. The woman says, I am entering into covenant. I see who you are. You are the mate. I am the helpmate. I will do everything to see that you lead and you are successful. And he says, you know what, I will do everything to make life easy for you. I will lead and I will take you along and I will see that I do not weary you out. Because you are the helpmate and not the mate. So you don't have to worry about the decisions that has to be taken. What I will do. I will hear from God. I will do everything possible within my capacity to hear from God. So that when I tell we have to do that, you will don't have to worry. Is that from God or not? Because you would have known this is what God wants. So life becomes easy for you to follow me. That is how God ordained it. That is why he comes and asks Adam, because you listen to your wife. It's not that it's wrong to listen to your wife. What is it? Because you listen to your wife. You didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. So that's a complete, this is how genuine, see, covenantal fellowship takes place. A man hears from God. It's a man who hears from God. And the woman also is a woman of prayer. So she doesn't try to push her husband to anything. When the husband comes and says, Honey, this is what I think God wants you to do. She says, Yes. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So you know what? He's the leader and she's the helpmate. Now communication is built around God. Who is the originator of the covenant? Who is the originator of the covenant? But when that does not happen, when the woman starts leading or the man does not hear from God and starts leading, everything starts breaking down. So the terms of the covenant is gone. Everything starts breaking down. Okay, Because the whole idea is not that woman should listen to man and man should listen to woman. It's not that both should listen to God. God is the key. So when you have a covenantal relationship, that is Adam and Abraham and Sarah and God has birthed Isaac through it all. Abraham is not able to hear. And Sarah is able to discern and knows it is not the will of God that Isaac and Ishmael live together. So she has to say, no, 
get the kid out. And Abraham is very upset. But I do believe from the context that Abraham went to God. And God said, listen to your wife. What she says is my counsel. You got your emotions involved over here. You listen. Okay. So you need to realize you can have genuine fellowship only when you have a covenantal relation with God. But ultimately it is God. It is not that a woman is, man is the head of the woman and the man does not have any head. You have chaos and suffering. That's not the way Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. Then you have a covenantal relationship. And Christ comes and says, you know what? My head is the father. I, I didn't have to do any of these things. But I came to show you the way. Way is the way of genuine fellowship. The way of genuine communication. I came under the headship of the father. He was basically teaching us. Woman, if you want to learn how to follow, see how I followed my God. Man. If you want to see how I lead, see how I led my disciples. He fulfilled both roles in that three and a half years of his life. How he submitted to God like a woman has to submit to man. And how he led his disciples as a man has to lead his family. Mm. He says, this is how it is. And when he finally asks his questions, hey, that is his bride, typically typified by his bride, his apostle. When I sent you out, did you lack? No. So you are secure about that, right? Did anybody get hurt? No. So you are secure about that. I was your provision. I was your security. This is man's job. He provides the security in relationship. Emotionally, economically, he says, you know what? I got you. I covered you. You don't have to worry. You are secure. I love you unconditionally. And I will take care of you. Don't worry about it. The best of my means, I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. I will not abandon the home. You don't have to worry. I'm not a guy who will run away. I offer you that kind of security. Okay. So when he offers that kind of security, you know what the disciples go. They go, do this, do this. Because he's hearing from his father and he's passing on to them and says, if somebody asks, just say the master needs it. That they are able to obey him completely and there is no issue at all. He's putting a picture for us. Okay. Because otherwise it is, we need to understand behind everything, there has to be a purpose. Yes. The kingdom is the purpose. Well, yeah. It's also very important in any relationship, it's incumbent upon both parties to ensure that they win over the other person's trust. In, in other words, in other words, you're consistently proven over a long period of time saying that, you know what, I can be dependable. And doesn't yeah. matter, it doesn't matter what you tell me or what you do not tell me, I'm there for you. Unless and until, of course, it's a huge kind of thing. Yeah. Is, uh, and I, um, See, uh, one thing is trust, we say, is earned. Yes. But you also have to look at the context. Okay. Like... Um, I'm talking about in the context of a church too. No, even I'm talking, I'm talking about like, like, you know, the Bible never says that Jesus between his uh, crucifixion, bef- between his arrest and Judas' death had a word for Judas. But do you know, as soon as he comes, resurrects and comes back, he restores Peter? Yes, that's right. He restores, how come he restored Peter? We'll say, no, Peter, you have to come through the rigor, you have to earn your uh, trust. You have to look at, why do people do certain things? In Peter's case, it was because of fear. Fear. Because of fear. 
Okay, because he was here. So all you have to do is deal with this here. And he's trustworthy. In a marriage context, in a family context, in a church context, you always have to look. That's why as a pastor, as a, I have to look with, sit down and listen carefully and find out why did you do what you did. In Judas' case, he's a thief. He's a thief. And he's been stealing, stealing consistently. He's a thief. So it's, you cannot trust him. You cannot trust him. Okay? You see, you cannot trust him. In Peter's case, that is not the case. That's not the case. Yeah. So you need to realize, if Judas has to be restored, he has to go through a process of earning his trust. Let us say Judas did not commit suicide. Uh, that was not the case, but he also was alive. He comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and says, Master, forgive me. He says, forgiven. Can I be part of the twelve? He says, okay. But it won't be the same like before. Others don't have to do. No. But I will give you other kind of duties because you have to earn your trust. Yes. He also can be restored. Okay, so we need to understand. Uh, but, uh, in relationship, that's why I'm saying, in a relationship, you always have to look at the context as to why, why did this happen? Mm. Why did this happen? Is this a consistent feature with a person or is it a one-time thing? Mm. You don't take a one-time thing mm-hmm. and make him into a serial killer. Yes. Serial killer. Okay, so you have to always weigh through, walk through discernment, everything, and ask God to intervene. So we have to be very careful about it, okay? But, when it comes to a home, a marriage, and a home, because this is talking, it is different. It is different. I would still say the the bar is very, very high. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, and read from verse 23 or 22, 22, 23 or 22 or 23. Wives submit um, to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And for husband is the head of wife as Christ is. Okay, come to verse 24. Okay, therefore just as a church is subject to Christ, so let, okay. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the key. How did Christ give himself for the church? Totally. Completely. He poured out his entire soul, life, for her on the cross. Completely. He didn't hold back anything. Hold back anything. But let me tell you this. He didn't do it the way the church wanted. Mm. He did it the way the father wanted. Sometimes the problem is that your expectations and your truth doesn't tally. Mm. Does not agree. Like I said, it does not agree. Sometimes the the desires and the demands of the feminine gender, because they are more of emotion, does not may not fit in with God's truth. Does not fit in with God's truth. That is why the Bible says, How does he love her? How does he sanctify her? He sanctifies and cleanses her by the washing of the water by the word. Meaning he is the person who speaks God into his wife's life. Mm. Wife's life. That's why the Bible says women should remain in silence in the church. If you have any doubt, go ask your husband. Because this is not the typical kind of a church. A church setting, Bible setting, people have questions. Wives, husbands are all sitting. Pastor is teaching. When they are teaching, the wife stands up and says, what about this? Paul says, sit down. Sit down. Don't ask here. 
If you have a doubt, you need to go ask your husband at home. And if he doesn't know, he will come and ask me, and he will come and tell you this is the answer, because you're dishonoring your husband in the Bible study, saying that, you know what, one, he doesn't know what you're talking about. Two, why should I ask him anyway? He says, there is order. There is order. That is the order. Okay, you are being one unsubmissive and dishonoring your husband. Yeah. This is the context he's talking about. Okay, so see, the fault lies on both sides. If the husband has to cleanse and sanctify her by the word, he needs to know the word. One of the fundamental issues with modern day men is that they don't know the word. They don't know the word. And second, like Eve's case, there are so many voices speaking to the women. I don't know any woman in the church who's learning the word through her husband. <laughs> Yet that is what the word of God says. I can understand if your husband does not know the word. But if your husband knows the word, is your even, even from our church, if you're writing a question to us in whatever format, the question I would ask is, did you ask this question to your husband first? Hmm. You ask this question to your husband first. If he's disinterested and if he does not know, that's a different matter. But if your husband knows the word, did but why don't you ask your husband? It's because deep inside you are still a rebel. It's deep in, and why doesn't men go and seek the counsel of God about issues of life? Because deep inside they are also rebels. I don't need you, I can handle I went to college, I got a degree, I can I have education substitutes God for men. That's why their knowledge there is increasing, running to and fro, gathering all knowledge except the knowledge of God. While you cross over to the other side, only one knowledge will matter. Do you know God or not? And women won't ask their husband, men won't ask God, and then you have a communication breakdown. Communication breakdown. Okay. On the other hand, if you ask your husband and the husband says, honey, I think that's a good question to ask for Q&A today, to ask pastor, then you have come through the right format. I think this is the answer, but I'm not very sure. Let us cross-check. Let's take a second opinion. You have come through the right channel. And you shall know the truth of the truth. truth <laughs> Thereby, you know what happens? You are under submission. And you have come through proper way. You and have to, these things all matter in fellowship. And I'm telling you, most women I know of, they don't ask their men any questions. They listen to other men. How is it different from Genesis chapter 3? It was another voice who came and gave them counsel about God's word about it. It is another voice. It does not matter which voice is speaking. Most be the most godly voice. But the question is, are you listening? I'm not talking about listening to a church setting. I'm talking about otherwise. Otherwise. And if you don't have a believing husband, that's a different thing altogether. Don't ask him any questions. <laughs> that's why Peter will say, keep quiet when he says something. Don't say anything. If you don't want to hear his answer. Okay. okay so we have to look at all these things. Honestly, look at all these simple day-to-day things. And what happens is there is liberty. Mm. liberty. Even if your husband does not know the answer and is not interested in the answer because you went through the, this thing, you, he may, God may speak to you in a dream or a vision because you went through the right way. We went through the right way. We went through the right way. Okay. See, you look at the difference between Sarah and Rebecca. Between Sarah and Rebecca. Sarah told her husband, and God told Abraham, and she was resolved. 
Rebecca didn't talk to her husband about the issue at all. She took the whole thing in her own hands and manipulated the whole thing. She neither went to God nor went to her husband. And after that, I mean, one of the saddest stories in the Bible is Rebecca because of how she began. I still can't figure out why is Rebecca's death not mentioned in the Bible. Sarah dies, Rachel dies, Leah dies, where everything is mentioned. I think Isaac's maid is mentioned, but... Uh, Isaac's maid, Laura is mentioned. Her name is Rebecca, right? Yes, no. She is mentioned where she is buried. Rebecca's is life, and yet she is such a fantastic woman. Fantastic woman. I mean, I mean, if I look at Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, I look at it, I really love Rebecca. <laughs> I really love it. I mean, the way she began, what kind of commitment to God, first at the well, serves all of them, I will go tomorrow, you look at dedication, asking, for the, asking for the children, the future, setting Jacob aside, rearing up in the ways of all that, and then goof up like that. Okay, so we have to be, these are patterns in the Bible. So in a husband and a wife, this thing over there, you have to have a common bond, which is this. Hmm. You have to. Other areas, it does not matter. But again, look at it. Know each other's strengths and weaknesses. That's why the Bible says to live with each other, with understanding. If your wife is good in something, then you say, you know what, I want you to handle it. Like many men are terrible with finances. In some cases, many women are terrible with finances. But if the woman is terrible in finances, and she's going to handle the finances, you're going to be bankrupt always. But the man is terrible in finances and she is good at then he says, you honey, you know what? I want you to handle the finances. I'm not. Just tell me how you're handling it. Just I need to because being the head, I need to know the final report. Exactly. Right? That's, all. that's all. But you handle it because I know. I'm not going to interfere. I have no, 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 no. I may interfere. I may interfere because heads have to interfere. You cannot, there's no independent charge when you are a head. Okay, so you have, I may have to interfere because telling okay. is to, okay, did we need that? Was that needed? Or why did you buy it? You may ask questions. Okay, but I understand that's your strength. Different areas, women may have strength, but they operate in that strength under. Under, and thereby, you know what, she has liberty. She has liberty. The man operates under God. You know what he has? He has liberty. He has liberty. And fellowship increase. Now, don't get into this uh, romantic concept about the world, okay? So many things are romantic, and it's just got nothing to do with truth. Let us say, I'm married, I'm married, and my wife is, you know my wife, everybody knows my wife. Like I said, she doesn't know cricket bat from a wood a piece of log. She has no clue. And I'm let us say I'm I used to say I love cricket. And on a Sunday evening my relaxation is watching cricket. And I insist, honey, we are one. You have to sit with me and watch cricket. Poor thing. She's sitting there because now she's put in a bin she's put in a trap. Because if you love me that's the trap. If you love me, you have to be with me. After all, it is written. Two are not two, but they are one. So sit here beside me and and watch this. Now, that is a stupid thing. Because, honey, I know you will be. If, honey, I really love you. So I'm telling you, go do what you like. Okay? Otherwise, you will be miserable. Because you are miserable, I will be miserable. I won't be able to enjoy the game. I have this message here. Are you okay? I will watch this game. You have nothing else to do. I have nothing else. You go do. Go visit some friend if you want to do something. People go all the nine yards to prove this, you know. I love this. So you better love this. Not only that, 
this is my favorite snack and my favorite drink. I know you don't like it. You don't like this or this. But if you love me, you will drink this with me and eat this with me. Can you imagine how miserable life becomes? But that's how homes are miserable because they have this romantic concept about love. That's not, that's not truth in it. Not truth in it. Okay, not truth in it. In the way what happens is that your spouse, your wife, or your husband, you don't give them the freedom to grow and become what God wants them to become. Okay. And never expect that oneness before the fault also. It can happen, may not happen, but in eternity, twinkling of an eye, everything will be known. You're missing eye, you realize, ah, I shouted at you for that time. Actually, you were innocent, I was guilty. All these misgivings and misconceptions will be all put right. But as far as possible, with you, the Bible says, yeah. pursue peace with all men. Yeah. With all men. Pursue peace with all men. Yes, Pastor Vijay? Wow, that was awesome. You have a young Isaac who's was it way then. I said is thinking who should I marry? Because I said sitting here is wondering if I can get a proposal and her name is Rebecca, I should ask her. Hallelujah. Should I marry her? Yes, Pastor. Oh, sorry, it's again uh, question number seventeen. Uh, seventeen. Uh, if you are at if you are at all honest, we know that we do not live in the wonderful world of Genesis one. One and anyway. okay. Where every word spoken was consistent with God's standards and design. In the Garden of Eden, there were no sins of talk. What happened? Why is it so hard for us to speak as God designed? Is there any connecting question? That's it. That's all okay, 17. Okay. It's because of the fall. It's because of the fall. You see, when, uh. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, there's, there's another, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, I think, uh, the same person. Question 16 is possibly on the same lines. Until our hearts are completely purified by God in heaven, we must set strong guard, guards at the gates of our mouths and fight daily battles to restrain the overflow of our sinful desires. When do we actually come to that point that we are purified daily and our conversations will always be holy and pure? Or is it just not possible? I mean, if it is not possible, God would not say. Mm-hmm. Okay, but please understand. Uh, when you go to Genesis chapter 1, and words, words three, and then to Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Yes, eighteen twenty one. Yeah, life and death. And God said, mm-hmm. "Okay, that is where it all begins." God said, "Let there be." Okay, God said, "Let there be." And God, man has been made in the image of God. Unlike the animals, animals don't say and do anything or anything happen. We've been made in the image of God. And in the image of God first is that we have the capacity to reason things out. Okay? Now when you are thinking or reasoning things out, you need to realize they are basically unspoken words. Okay? Without words, you cannot have thoughts. So you have unspoken words in your mind and then a spoken word that comes out of your lips. You have to have this first, so they are both connected. Mm. So you have to make them into one. When God said, that, let there be light, his, his mind is not blank. Mm. Mind is not blank. He has already thought in his mind mm. seen what light is yes. like and he's just speaking it into being. Okay? So when we are talking about talk, we've been created that way. We have a thought life. And we have a word life, a spoken word life. Now, 
the Bible says, if you go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and then we'll come to Proverbs 18, 21. Joshua chapter uh, 1, 8. 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But how is it possible? For it not to depart from your mouth. Mm-hmm. Meditate upon it day and night. He says, if you handle your thought life, your word life, spoken life will be fine. You cannot just, this is not spoken English class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not like that. If you want your spoken language to be right, your thought life has to be right. If your thought life has to be right, you have to meditate upon mm-hmm. God's principles, the word, not just meditating and memorizing scripture behind everything that is like, let us look at the principle of Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Mm-hmm. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, God said, I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, choose. How do we primarily choose them? We choose them by three ways. Three ways we choose them. Now go back to Proverbs, uh, sorry, Joshua 1, 8. Okay. We choose either life or death three ways. First, we choose them by meditating on it. Second, we choose them by speaking about it. Three, we choose them by doing it. Yeah. All three matters. You can meditate upon one thing, say one thing, and do something completely contrary. <laughs> no. By fear. Yes. You can do that. That's what happened to Peter and the apostle. Let us go with him and die. Yeah. Even if everyone betrays you, we will not betray you. Their thought life was right. Their spoken life words were right. Yeah. But when the actual eventuality took place, they did exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Okay? So all these three has to match. Mm. What you think has to, what you speak, and what you do. When you, when these three things becomes one, God says, your way is prosperous. Mm. Way is prosperous. Even in righteousness or wickedness. Either way you will be prosperous. The wicked man thinks, and he speaks, and he does. The righteous man thinks, he speaks, and he does. Okay? That's how it works. So, but where does it begin? It begins with the thoughts. It's what you think on. Okay? So the Bible will say, keep your mind on things that are above. The Bible will say, think on things that are pure and holy. Okay? Like we talked about relationships and hurt and wounds and all, no? Now, if you really, really want a restoration or healing, let's forget restoration. Restoration takes two people. Healing takes only one. Get that. It's original, okay? Get that. You can make a placard if you want. <laughs> Restoration takes two people. Healing takes only one. You can be healed in a marriage, even if your marriage is not restored. You can be healed in a home, even if your home is not restored. You can be healed in your church, even if restoration doesn't take place in the church. Because to have restoration takes two people. But for healing, it only takes one. It only takes one. So you need to realize that it is your choice. Okay, there is a person who hurt you. I don't know how many times I have counseled people from personal experience and basically, you know, when you counsel, it's just not the word of God. It's the word of God which has become experiential. You know the power of it. Why you tell is that? Okay, Mr. A or Mrs. B hurt you. And now, that person is not in your life. Is away, may come back, may not come back, or may not. The problem is, If you look into any relationship, any relationship, there was always good moments. In a marriage that divorced, 
in a home where husband and father was alcoholic, there are always good moments. Okay, moments. Your choice, God says, is to think about the good. Hmm. Talk about the good. And then when you get a chance, hmm. you will do good. That's how you keep your healing. You mm-hmm. think about what is good. You talk about what is good. And when the opportunity comes, when you run into that person and the person is in need, without even thinking or blinking an eye, automatically you do good because that's what you thought and you said. That is how healing takes place. So when God is talking about it, this is basically what he's talking about. You cannot change your conversation without changing your thought life. Thought life. I'm not saying the opportunity to do it will come immediately, but when it comes, you are ready. When it comes, you are ready. You are ready. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus did not think good and speak good about, for, about his love for his people of Israel, do you think he would bless them from the cross? No, he didn't. He couldn't. He couldn't bless them from the cross. That's what we are talking about. Change your thought life. Right. Be honest. Sit with the Spirit of God. If you are struggling with relationship, and who are you writing with relationship, you write it down, the names of this person. Okay? There won't be so many. One or two people basically upset you. Write them down and think. Think about those people. And think about the good those people have done to you. And then, usually people don't know. People only think about the good you have done and feel very bad. I did so much and they never did. So, no, no, no. Think about the good they have done to you. Think about the good they have done to you. And then, you know what? Speak about it. When the opportunity comes. And even if they have done only five good and 95 bad, have a heart of God and say, Lord, give me compassion. Compassion is a very powerful word in the Bible. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion upon them. Okay? Compassion. That's Compassion comes in a human level, spiritually speaking. When you put yourself in the other other person's shoes, you will realize, okay? Honestly, like like after being a pastor for so many years, you hear about this person and this thing, but then when you Meet that person and you find out what that person's history, you will realize what made that person that nasty. It's because of what he or she went through. And when you look at that, you realize, you know what? What thing? You feel sorry for them. What a life. What a life to love. What a life. You feel sorry for them. So compassion works. Compassion is a very important part of our Christian makeup because God is very compassionate. That's why he looks at Israel and the way they, they're going into the unbelievable, un, you cannot even speak the kind of things they're going. He looks at them and he says, you know what, though I am mad at you, I'll not be mad at you forever. As a father pities his son. Israel, I will pity you. Okay, so these things are all there. But keep the simple format. You cannot speak right unless you think right. And it is not enough to think right and to speak right you will also ultimately have to do what is right. Okay? In a general principle, first it has to be general, then it becomes specific. Meaning, I will not, this is one thing I love about my wife, honestly. It does not matter what people do to her. It will not stop her being being kind to everyone. 
is consistent. Consistent in that. People can hurt her. People can tell her junk about her. Do everything. And okay, I am stopping it. I am not going to help anybody. Anymore. She never thinks that. Next day she is back to doing the same thing. And I sometimes ask her, how long do you want to get hurt? I said, but don't do it. You do it. That's who you are. Just keep doing what you have to do. Her fundamental nature has never changed. It has never changed. But a lot of people change. When people hurt them, they stop giving. They don't give. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about their life. They they channel themselves, the block. This something about the kingdom of God. I will tell you something about the kingdom of God. Two powerful illustration Jesus gives. One is in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And and verse 14. John chapter 4 and verse 14. Got it? Yes. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Then he says something else. He says, rivers of living water, that is in seven. John 7. Seven. Yeah, John 7. Okay, John 7. And verse 38, John 7, verse 38 and 39. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He didn't say, be very careful. You have to read scripture very carefully, as scriptures say. Okay, look at verse 38. 38. 38 and, yeah, 38. He who believes in me, how? As the scriptures. You can't believe in as you feel like. You have to believe him as scriptures say. What will happen? Rivers of living water will flow. Meaning, you have to believe in me and act according to what scripture says. He says, first, there will be eternal life springing up like a fountain. But you know what happens? Any fountain that does not flow becomes stagnant. After some time, it becomes stagnant. One of the fundamental principles of a fountain is that it has to flow. Mm. Then only fresh will come. Mm. Fresh will come. There are two seas in in Israel. One is called the Dead Sea. <laughs> the other is called the Sea of Galilee, if I'm right. One has fresh inflow. River Jordan flows into it. And it flows out. Dead Sea, nothing flows out. So it is dead. And that's what happens to people. What happens is that, you know, when life becomes bitter, they stop giving out. And they become like Naomi. They become like Naomi. Nothing to give out. Intellectual knowledge is there. <laughs> but God cannot use them. Because inside it is bitter. They're, they're inside from their belly. Bitterness is basically in the belly. That's where the gallbladder is. Mm. Okay. Nothing is flowing. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. God. That's, that's why those names are all given in. Okay. Mm. You need to understand. Nothing is flowing out of her. Mm. She's a widow and she's miserable. So is Ruth. The first statement we hear about Ruth is that I will not leave you. She's giving. Your future is there. You go back to Moab. You're a young widow. You're a pretty looking girl. You have no children. Some Moabite will marry you. You can settle down. You come to Israel. They will spit at you. You have no future over there. But first thing Ruth is giving, her action is, I will go with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people, my people. That's a fantastic statement. I'm waiting for one day when the couple will come and say, we want that as our wedding vow. 
from scripture. We want this as our wedding vow. We both want to say what Ruth said. Okay, now let's put that aside and say, you know, what is Ruth doing? Ruth is giving. And therefore, the river will flow through her while it is walled up in Naomi. Wow. Naomi has only counsel, but she has no life. Do this, do that, do this, do this. But she will not give. So she cannot be redeemed. When Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, comes, imagine, Naomi is the closest relative of Boaz. She is the Israelite. Ruth is the Moabite. But the kinsman redeemer is able to redeem the Moabite and not the Israelite because she gives. This one is bottled up. Same thing happens every day in church. The kinsman redeemer, the spirit of Christ comes to see whom he can redeem. And he sees people are all bottled up. And there is one who has gone through so much pain and suffering and sarcasm and insult, is willing to give and the Redeemer flows through that person. Let me ask you this question. Who went and preached about Christ to Samaria, the disciples of the Samaritan woman? Samaritan woman. Immediately it started flowing. Who proclaimed to the disciples he has risen? A woman who was completely possessed with seven demons, who refuses to leave the grave, is flowing through her. But they are all shut up because of the fear of the Jews. She is not shut up. You need to understand, this is how the kingdom of God works. All these things can happen to us, but when it happens, if we bottle ourselves, like C.S. Lewis said, if you don't want to be hurt anymore, go to hell. There's no love there. You don't have to worry about anybody hurting you in hell, because everybody is so consumed with their own torment. How are you feeling, brother? Nobody will ask you that. <laughs> Nobody is going to ask you that. That is the key. For me, this is, this. I always have said this before also. We'll close with this. Yeah, I want you to turn with you to the book of Genesis. And verse 40, uh, chapter 40. Verse 46. And seven. Forty-six and seven. Forty, chapter forty. Chapter forty-six and seven. Four zero, not four zero. Forty-six and seven. Not forty-six, seven, sorry. Forty-six and seven. Joseph came into them in the morning. This is where in the prison, all our prisoners looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his lord's house saying, why do you look so sad? Who's the first one to ask this question? God. Why has your countenance fallen? Do you see this man? He's the only innocent man in the entire prison. All are prisoners. He's not sitting and mourning. I don't know what my brothers did to me. I do He's looking at others. You know what? The river is still flowing. Why are you so sad? I say I personally say this is his turning point. Exactly. If you don't say that, you don't. This is your turning point. Turning point. God is looking for any vessel through abused vessel, innocently abused. He's absolutely innocent of all crime. Beaten up, brutalized, scandalized. He has no name. He has no reputation. His body has marks. Chains have eaten into his arms and his legs. He's in fetters, but he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about why. I mean, it's why are you sad? I mean, how can you even? See the expression of somebody unless you have been watching all of them every day. Every day. Okay. So, he noticed. Yesterday you were not looking like this. 
today you are looking different. Mm-hmm. That is that is the most important part of a relationship where I tell pastors, you know what, if you are a shepherd, you should be able to know your sheep without them opening their mouth. I do. I'm not priding myself. I do. After the service, I will tell them and give them a hug and say, you're not good today. I saw your face while I was preaching. Saw your face while I was preaching. You don't have have to tell me one thing. I know you're not good today. My wife is beyond that. She doesn't even have to see. She will say, honey, this one is not good. This one is not good. She slept at two in the morning because she felt, felt in the spirit that somebody is not good. And she will sit up. That's why I don't wake her up in the morning. I'm very, very careful about to see that she sleeps as long as I can. Allow her to sleep. Because I know she will wake up in the in the night and sit up because she felt in the spirit somebody is not good. I have to see. She doesn't even have to see. Joseph sees. Joseph sees. Okay. We have to be. Because otherwise, you know what? I cannot be in the ministry. How long will I continue in the ministry if I don't allow the river to flow? Bottled up, finished, I'm gone. And I should quit. Mm-hmm. Because we are all in the ministry. We are all servants of God. Like we have that beautiful song which I learned first in 1984. Channels only. Channels only. Blessed Master. That's what we are. But we have to be a channel. We cannot be blocked. And bitterness and self-focus blocks us that we are not able to see the the pain of others because we are so consumed by our pain. However genuine our pain is, the issue is this. He who refreshes others, yes. the book of Proverbs says, will be refreshed himself. Meaning, if I allow the the spirit of God to flow through me, let me tell you this, okay? Let us say you're inside, you're inside, your spirit, your soul is full of wounds, wounded by others, full of wounds. But if you allow the Spirit of God to flow through you to heal, to help others, the Spirit of God also is the balm of Gilead. As this balm flows, it heals you. You do not realize you are being healed. Help that one. You help that one. You help that one. Help that one. You look inside you. You are not hurting. And you are able to forgive the ones because you know what? You are allowing life to flow through you. That's why God said be a channel. Be a channel. On the other hand, if you bottle yourself up, you know what happens? The water becomes stagnant and your wound starts festering. You know, when you have a wound, old days, even today, what does the doctor say? Wash it under clean water, Mm. running water. You won't take stagnant, dirty water and wash it. Now you'll get an infection which was not part Mm. of the wound. Mm. Yes. If you allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you, or fall through, you know what, you know what, you'll suddenly realize you're, you're not hurting. You're not hurting. Oh. What has happened is God has healed you. It's it's a process God has put over there. He says that's what happens. You are healed and therefore you are able to. You, know, you have to become a channel. You You look at this man, one of the last verses we will read for today, or maybe one more, who knows? <laughs> I'm so free because Pastor Vijay is preaching. <laughs> <laughs> last week it was here, okay? but this time it is. <laughs> okay. Come to Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. 19 to 22. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, having pursued the, persuaded the multitude. They stoned Paul. 
dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city. Next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. When they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. Doing what? Verse 22. Look at verse 22 is important. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and say, we must go through many tribulations and enter the kingdom of he turned evil into good. He turned evil into good. You know what he's telling? Look at me standing. You know I was here last week, right? You know what they did to me, right? Did I quit? Did I change my gospel? Am I preaching the same set of people? He said, you know what? I'm a channel. I'm a channel. This was an unbelievable man who understood the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. He understood this is how the gospel works. The gospel is very, very simple. It's not complex. Don't make it complex. It's very, very simple. That's why the Bible. Those who believe me, according to the scriptures, not just believe me, according to the scriptures. Many have romantic notions about who Christ is. But according to the scriptures, you know what happens? He says, you know what? It will flow through you. And you know what? In the process, you will come through life. You look around and you say, I don't even remember. Do you know when I said that thing to you? You said that thing to me. <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't even remember. What happened? The wounds were healed. They're not even scars. It's healed. It's gone. You know, it's gone. The, the river of life flowing through is also remember. There's a stream flowing in Revelation 22. And there are trees that bear fruit for the healing, of the, healing of the nations. The healing of the nation is coming because of the water they are sucking in. Okay? And that is what is flowing through you. I wish people would just open up and just start allowing God to flow through them. All these broken people who write and say, you know what, I'm not to focus on that. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do is, Lord, let me be your eyes and ears and your hands and your feet. Let me be able to help somebody today with a word of encouragement, a words of mercy. Okay? A word of mercy, a word of encouragement, or act, whatever it is. Let me be that, O oh Lord. Let me be, be that, O oh Lord. You know what? Sometimes you have to be tough. But that is also an act of mercy. Act of mercy. Okay? Because if you don't be tough, that person will end up where there is no mercy. So you being act tough at the right time is an act of mercy. It's not an act of hatred. They though they may see it as hatred. It is not an act of hatred, it's an act of mercy. But that's why you open yourself up to it. And in every relationship, that's how it works. That's how it works. You know what? Because God wants to commit more and more and more into our hands. Honestly telling, God doesn't have too many workers. Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. Mm-hmm. He never talked about the harvest. He said, never said the harvest is not right. His harvest is always ready. But the problem is there are no laborers. You mean there are not so many workers? He said, no, there are plenty of workers, but they don't love. They don't care. It's too much consumed either with their profession or their problems. Two peace. Their pleasure, their profession, their problems. So I am looking for somebody. Somebody. You know one thing about Jesus calling the disciples? What was common about every disciple he called? No, no, no. Yeah, connected with the disciples, their action. They, had to leave. they left. Yeah. They did not have to leave. They left everything and followed him. So they were not. They didn't care about their profession or their feelings or their problem. They left everything and followed him. Therefore, they could become fishers of men. If 
Some of them said, let me bury my dead God. Said, Forgive me. Jesus said, go. Oh, I have bought it. He said, go. I have bought this thing. He said, go. You cannot. You're too much consumed. You cannot be a blessing in the kingdom. Because you're consumed. To be a blessing in the kingdom is that, you know what? I will be a channel. I'll be a channel. And when you're a channel, not only that, you're a blessing. All the other things you needed is also automatically taken care of. The stream is flowing. And wherever the stream flows, there is life. But both Ezekiel and John agree. Wherever the stream flows, there is life. There is life. And That's what it's all about. Throughout every season. Every, every season. Month, it doesn't matter. Mm. Whichever season mm. of your life you are in, you will bear fruit. Mm. You will bear fruit. So, we don't retire. I look at my WhatsApp groups of all my friends, you know, Kerala, no? So Kerala, 40, 55, 56, you retire. Everybody is writing when you retire, retire. Nobody will ask me alone when I retire. Because you know, I don't retire. There's no retirement in God's kingdom. There's no retirement. It's not enough that you don't retire, but you still have to bear fruit in every season. Every season you have to bear fruit, you know what? And we are all in God's kingdom. We don't retire. We never retire. It's not only that. At every season, we have to bear fruit. That is Joseph. Every season of his life, you look at him. He's bearing fruit. It doesn't matter where you put him. His environment does not matter. He bears fruit. His father's house, he bears fruit. Potiphar's house, he bears fruit. Prison, he bears fruit. Put him in the palace, he bears fruit. Everywhere, he bears fruit. Okay? So that's how it works. And therefore, never quit on these things. Never, no. Believe in Jesus. I like that word. In John chapter 7. I had forgotten that. Suddenly, Lord reminded me, you have to believe me according to scriptures. Go through the scriptures. The scriptures is about Jesus Christ. Believe. I think it's verse 38. 37, 38. 38, yeah. You have to believe in Jesus according. As scripture has said. We have to believe him accordingly. What does scripture say about Jesus? Believe him that way. This more you believe me according to scriptures, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And 39 says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has the liberty. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. But the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Christ was not yet glorified. Can you imagine that? That's what God is opening us to. You don't even have to look for a ministry. It will just come to you. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, you don't have to look for a ministry. It will come to you. All you have to allow is, Lord, here I am. Just flow through me. Amen. And the river directs the course. You don't direct the river. The river directs the course of your life. Yes, Pastor Vijay, we'll close for today. Yes. Thank you, Lord. It's been a long week. Mm. <laughs> it's been a tough week mm. but ends always well that ends well we read the end of the book it ends well mm. no tear, no grief, no sorrow and the father is with you and his dwelling is with mankind forever ever, ever always read Genesis sorry, Revelation 21 and 22 the dwelling place of God is God with is with man the father Okay, read Revelation 21 and 22 and go to sleep. You'll have a good night's sleep. You'll have a good night's sleep. Yes, Pastor Vidya, let's close. Father, just, we just want to thank you, Lord, for reassuring us every time, Lord, that we don't only just come to our God, but we come to our Heavenly Father. 
I pray, Father, that all of us will continue to understand your heart as a father. Lord, we're still walking in that spirit of adoption. We still haven't understood you as our father. I pray, Father, that will become reality even more, Lord, in the days to come. But even as you, as we understand you, you as father, you will make us into fathers. That we'll be able to father others as well. We'll have the firmness, the gentleness at the same time. We'll have convictions which are strong and we will have mercy to show. And therefore I pray, Lord, even as we heard this evening, O Lord, Enable us to understand you as a father. And Lord, mold us into what you want us to become ultimately as fathers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you, Father, for every question. Thank you, Father, for every brother, sister who has sent these questions. Thank you, Father, for answering so many questions in our hearts. I pray, Father, that, Lord, it will bear fruit. That we will not only hear, we will not only meditate, but we will continue to do what we have heard. We thank you, Father. We thank you. We praise you. We will give you glory for everything that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord. You and you alone deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. Lord, if you choose to give us yet another day in the land of the living, Lord, I pray, Father, that we will be found in your house on time tomorrow. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to prepare us through every ministry, O oh Lord, for your coming. That we'll be a bride prepared for the bridegroom. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.